Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. Kelly, aka Steamy Chick, the woman behind the new yet ancient vaginal steaming movement. I had been hearing women rave about the benefits of vaginal steaming for years and was thrilled to find out that this badass mama had also free birthed her two children. Kelly shares how unacceptable she was treated by her doctor in her first pregnancy and how she ultimately decided she wanted to rely on her own instincts and see what birth was really about. And of course, we get into vaginal steaming and how it can be used for postpartum healing. So when I got pregnant and I started to think, I I wasn't, well, I work, I work as, I worked as a, a promotional tour manager. And so my insurance, you know, I might have insurance for a couple months and then I wouldn't have insurance, right? So I didn't really have like, um, I didn't have insurance when I got pregnant. And so, um, you know, I had like Medi-Cal. Um, and so I started to look around for doctors and I started to visit all of the doctors in my area and the clinics that I was going into, I just, I just didn't see it. I didn't see anybody in those clinics, um, whether or not they were wearing scrubs, touching me. I didn't like the way they were talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I couldn't imagine myself in any one of those spaces, even receiving prenatal care. And, um, and so I, you know, started to think, okay, well, I'll do a home birth. And so I was looking into, you know, midwives and looking at the cost of midwives. And I'm like, geez, you know, I really want to pay them what it's worth, but I don't know if I have that. Um, you know, because it's obviously a range and, um, you know, the top range was above, you know, what I could do. And the bottom range is like putting all my money into, you know, into a midwife. (laughs) So, um, so anyhow, I was just like, really like looking at the different options. And, um, I, I remembered something that my, my sister had said, my sister, I have a twin sister and she had had a baby a couple years earlier and, I remember when she was pregnant, she was just like, I want to kind of want to just give birth like a cat. She's like, you know, how the cats used to just go off. She's like, they'd be pregnant and then they would just disappear. And you knew they were off giving birth somewhere. And then you'd have, to, and then you'd find them a couple of days later with kittens. She's like, that's how kind of like instinctively how I want to give birth. And so when I was pregnant, I remembered that she said that, but I also had that feeling like just yeah like I just want to go off and give birth by myself I didn't want to be surrounded by people not even a midwife not a doula I just didn't want anybody there I didn't want my sister there my husband I was looking at him and I'd just be like do I want him (laughs) there you know I just instinctively I had this feeling like I just want to be alone and so when I was looking at the birthing options and none of them 
you know, none of them like appealed to me. I just kind of started to get this feeling like, okay, yeah. Like what if I did just do this alone? And I didn't actually know that people did it. I didn't know about free birthing. Um, so, um, randomly one of my friends contacted me and she's like, Hey Kelly, um, my friend Piper found out you're pregnant and she wants to talk to you. So Piper Lovemore is a friend of a friend. She's a doula. She's actually in Oahu. And she contacted me. She's like, Hey, I hear you're pregnant. You know, you know how doulas are. You guys are so excited about pregnancy. So she was just like a friend of a friend that was chatting with me and, um, turned out she had, uh, one hospital birth and four unassisted births. And so when I was like, you did what? And she was like, yeah. And so she was like, if you want any more information, like I'll tell you all about it. So she ended up telling me all about, you know, free birthing. And she kind of um, was like, a, she was a, she was a, a doula figure to me um, just from a distance by sharing her, her stories. And, um, and, you know, once I, once I, learned about what she did and that this is something people do. I kind of, I found a Facebook group of women doing it and whatever. Once I learned that this was a thing, I was just like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. So my, um, one of my best friends is a, a family MD. So I had remembered that her mom gave her a book uh, and the, the name of the book was where women have no doctor. Hmm. So, um, you know, uh, my friend, she's really unique. Her and her she's, she's, a, she's from the U S but she was born in, 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 um, I forget which country, um, but somewhere in, uh, Western Africa. And so, um, so, you know, she has, she has that background. She, she used to live in a village. So her mom brought her this book about how doctors basically practice in a village, um, where there aren't, you know, when there's, when there aren't, where there aren't medical facilities. So I remember thinking, I had never looked at the book, but I remember her getting the book. So I actually snuck to my friend's house. I had a key and I, um, <laughs> I went in when she was at work and I stole the book from her. <laughs> so I took it home and it's like, yeah, it's like if, if a woman is giving birth, you need these couple things. It was like, you need some towels, you need some soap, you know, um, and you need some scissors or a knife to cut the cord. Like, it's just like very basic. Like these are the couple things you needed. Um, and hot water to disinfect, like whatever you cut the cord with. And I was like reading this and I was just like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. That's why would you need anything else? You know? And so, um, so after a little while I told my friend that I had stolen the book from her and I told her what I was thinking and she was just like, you're crazy. You're crazy. And it's just like, um, you know, like just laughing. And I was like, I don't know. You know, I did have a doctor. I did actually end up doing prenatal care and I went all along the way. And, um, and what I told people was I have a doctor so I can birth in the hot. If there's any problem, I'll go to the hospital, but if there aren't any problems, I'll just do it at home. Um, although I knew that I was going to do it at home. Yeah. Like, I, you know, that was my plan. So anyhow, in that book where women have no doctor, it talked about, uh, the issues. There are a couple of issues like to look out for, like if the water breaks and there's meconium in it, if the water breaks and 24 hours later, you know, the baby hasn't been born yet, you know, just a couple of different things that you have to look for that there might be an issue or that the woman <clears throat> or the baby might be in trouble. Um, and so, you know, I like, you know, wrote out that list and I had it on the wall and I memorized it. And, you know, 
other than that. Um, and even those are totally subjective and often not issues. So yeah. those are still yeah. just like averages, you know, or guide like medical <laughs> yeah. medical guidelines. Right, right, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So um so anyhow, I just started to get my supplies together and um, and, and what is your partner feeling about this? So I asked him. I mentioned it to him. I was like, "Hey babe, I was like, um what if I just like went full cave woman?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, "What if I just had the baby like right here at our house?" Like in our bathroom or in the bed or something. I was like, and he was like, I always wanted to be a baby doctor. <laughs> That's what he said. He was like, yeah, when I was a kid, I always used to say I wanted to be a baby doctor. And I was just like, okay. And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, I'm down. Cool. And, um, and so that's all he said. And then like, you know, a couple months later, I checked in with him again. I was like, you're really cool with it. And he was just like, yeah, <laughs> like he was just nice. like, really really kicked back and relaxed about it. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I do find like people really focus a lot on the partner and I understand it's the partner's baby too and everything, but at the end of the day, nobody can help you. I see, you know, I see a lot of women in birth situations. Um, I've attended a couple of births, um, just my friend, my, si- my sisters and my friends. So three, I'd, I'd only ever, I'd, I'd attended three births just as, uh, you know, just as a friend. Um, and it's like, what really, what really, um, resonated with me is that the woman has to do it herself. Nobody can help her. And I've seen women in birth be like, help, help, help. Mm -hmm. I can't, I, I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't understand that instinct. Like in birth, you are just like, oh my gosh, I need help. Like somebody help me. Um, but really the other people are just distractions. Because the woman has to do it herself. She has to do it herself. And so I was just thinking about myself. And when I'm like really, when I really need to get something done, that's really hard. I like to just, I don't like any distractions. Mm -hmm. I'm just not the person that wants somebody holding my hand and going, you can do it. Like, usually I'm just like, shut up. Yeah, me too. (laughs) You know, so I know that about myself. And so I just, um, so I was just like, okay. I understand that birthing is probably going to be the hardest thing I ever do. I understand that I need to do it. Like I'm going to need to do it and that no amount, there's no supplies that are going to make it better. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, like I'm going to have to do it, you know? And so, um, so, so that's, that's what really, um, that's what I really took away with me when I had seen other women birth was just like, man, like there's nothing that we can do to help her. Like, she's just going to have to do this. So anyhow, I went into birth like that. Um, and yeah, my husband, he was down, he said he, he didn't mind. And so he, the, the, the plan was he was going to catch the baby and, um, and he did it. He did catch the baby. I, I didn't, I didn't labor with him. In fact, I didn't read anything about laboring or birthing positions or anything. I just wanted to, um, just depend on my own natural instinct. You know, like, um, when you, I always just feel like if you follow your instincts, you know, you're going to know what to do. And I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to actually think about other people's situations. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you obviously think about, is this right? Or is this wrong? Or, you know. And you already clearly have established within yourself a trust in yourself and a relationship to your own instincts, you know, and that, that's where 
it can get really powerful. You know, when you already know that you have the ability to listen to your instincts, a lot of women don't know that yet, you know, and maybe it comes out in labor or maybe they do the help me, help me and turn to everybody else. But it sounds like you were really, um, available and, and interested and committed to, you know, turning into this self-knowledge that you already knew that you were going to have, which is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like sometimes I think about it and I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but I was just like, mm-hmm. you know, like well, it came from I- your like billion years of biology, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> it's within know. all of us. It came from your, right. your ancestors and your, your everything. But as right. you know, like our culture has so successfully, um, what's the right word? Like dumbed it down you know, and not in all of us, you know, but it's, it's, I talk a lot about like that. This is the rewilding, you know, this is the, the wild woman that you had a connection to that voice that was calling within you to connect to the wild woman, which is in all of us. Yeah. 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 So I was just, I was kind of secretive about it. Um, I didn't tell anybody when I went into labor, I just, um, I went into labor. It was like at like six o'clock in the evening and I was cooking dinner and, um, and I started to feel like some little contractions and I had, I had actually felt contractions, um, for, Oh, I don't know, maybe a week. You know, I'd been feeling these little contractions. She came two weeks after the due date. So, um, so the due date was February 5th. Um, or February 4th. And I ended up having her on February 19th. And so that was very interesting. I wasn't going into labor with her, uh, with my firstborn. I wasn't going into labor. And, um, you know, I knew that, you know, there's, there's time. So I actually did have a freak out. I had a freak out like around day 10 on February 14th. I was like, oh my gosh, what if something's wrong with my baby? Like what? uh, Actually, I knew nothing was wrong with the baby because she was like, you know, kicking. I had stopped going to my doctor's office at about eight months because they uh, were starting to um, get really annoying. Um, (laughs) To say the least. Well, they were, okay. I was in a Medi-Cal, I was in a Medi-Cal, I had a Medi-Cal doctor and um, I don't know if the women were uneducated in the office, but they treated all of us like we were uneducated. And it was all brown women in the office. And I get any respect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so I don't know those listening. I'm a, I'm a black woman. And um, there's just like there was just the nurses wouldn't introduce themselves. The doctor came in and started barking orders at me without um, without so introducing themselves. You know, just just. Yeah. Like, you know, until. I actually had an issue. They, they wanted me to go in because I have, uh, there's a history of diabetes in my family. They'd wanted me to do, um, some more diabetes testing. And I was like, no, thank you. I did the first round and that sucked. I'm not going to do that again. I don't want to drink cough syrup. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to drink that sugary syrup stuff. Like, I don't think that's healthy for me. I know it's not healthy for right. me. It's <laughs> you know? for sure not. And the doctor got so mad that I refused the second round of testing that he started saying that uh, my baby could die. And he just started saying all this stuff that was just really, really inappropriate. Mm. And, you know, little does he know that I have a master's degree and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He shouldn't have been talking to any woman in the office like that. But I know my rights. (laughs) So I 
I, I looked at him point blank and I said, are you saying that you will not continue to see me as your patient if I don't take this test? And so he like kind of jumped back and he goes, no, he said, I have to, you know, he said, that's, he said, you, you, uh, he says, he, he basically acknowledged that that was my choice. He says, well, no, I can't say that I won't see you if you won't take that. You know, he said, but he said, what do you think that I'm supposed to do? He said, I need these tests to determine whether or not you're healthy. He says, you might as well go to another doctor, right? He says, if you're not going to do what I say. So, but he, so he, you know, like, so then it's like, at that point, he kind of realized that I actually knew a little bit about my rights. And, um, and so then he said, he said, uh, basically they told me not to come back <laughs> because I didn't want to take that test. So anyways, and, and I had already taken it once, mind you. And then here, the ridiculous part was I hadn't gotten the results yet. I had taken it at four months. Here I am at seven months. And they were like, oh, we'll have the results for you next time. And I was like, why are you guys ordering another test when you haven't given me the results of the first one? And they were like, well, that's standard practice. And I was like, yeah, it's also standard practice to look at the results of the exams, right? So this is where they, they started getting in trouble with me for the, their, their negligent treatment. Mm-hmm. Their, that is not standard um, practice. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not. And so, um, so anyway, so, so then they started to be like, at eight weeks, they were like, you have to come in once a week. Eight so months. We could check the baby. Eight months. Yeah, and I was just like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I just stopped so did, going in. We were having you, too many problems. Did you have like a formal breakup, or did you just literally no ghost? No, I just stopped going in. Yeah, I just ghosted. I just ghosted. Um, my ongoing joke is I should go back in and be like, I'm still pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> help me. Can you can you induce me, please? Anyways, yeah. So I just disappeared and stopped going in. So, so anyways, how many? Hold on, hold on. 10 days, how many years ago was this? This was in 2013. Okay. When I started, um, so then when I was 10 days past you, I kind of freaked out, you know, and I'm just like, ah, you know, I started to, I did start to research about it. And it's like, ah, oh, it's like, an, everything says that it's increased danger to the baby and that there could be something wrong, why the baby hasn't been born and whatever. And so anyhow, I just started to do everything I could. I actually did a uh, vaginal steam, um, and I started to do some Qigong, like I, something like Tai Chi. I do like the little Qigong practice. I did a couple of different things um, just to get the circulation going. And I absolutely had, I, I wasn't going into labor because of the lack of circulation. My legs were numb. I could barely use them. <laughs> you know, I had shooting pains and I just like, it was, um, I couldn't walk. I remember I couldn't walk to the mailbox and back. Like it was just so painful. My legs were just really, really um uh, in a lot of pain. And so, um, and so anyhow, so I did this vaginal steam and it helped my legs and then I started sleeping great. And so I, va- I did vaginal steaming for a couple days in a row. Um, now for anybody who's listening to this and wants to try it, I only did it for 10 minutes. There was no burner and it was a really mild steam. You don't want to, you know, harm the baby, but, um, but it does help to open up the cervix and to get the circulation flowing. And so I think it was that, and this like little qigong, I was doing this, like, I was just like shaking, like I was just shaking, like supposedly this gets the energy moving throughout the whole body. And so I was, uh, I was doing this shaking leaf exercise, I believe it's called. And so I remember doing that. And all of a sudden I just kind of felt like this buzzing. I felt like this buzzing energy over me. And so I was cooking dinner and then, um, I started to have these little contractions again and they, they started to get stronger and that was it. I went into labor and it was nighttime. And there was never any point in me where I was like, and now I should pack a bag 
and going down to the car and drive to the hospital. There was never any instinct in me because I had left that an option that if I wanted to do that, I would do that. Um, well, because, there was never because that's, that's not instinctual. Like even, even <laughs> for, think- even for women who do go to the hospital, it's not instinctual to leave I- your nest and get yeah. in a car and disrupt your whole hormonal pattern. That's not yeah. happening off of instinct. I wanted to be more comfortable. I wanted it to right. be darker. I wanted to be cozier, you know, like that's how I felt, you know, the whole time. And so um, and I, my- I do want to, before you go further, I do just want to say for the listeners that, you know, 10 days past your 40 weeks is the average time for a first time mom to go. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I hear you that your story is that you really felt like those things helped and you for sure were going to go into labor either way because babies always come and labor always happens, you know, like (laughs) for sure. And so we tend to cling on to the things that we did, you know, that we feel help facilitate it. And I'm not saying it didn't, um, but, but 10 days past, you know, 41 and a half is the average amount. If, if you're having a, um, you know, an undisrupted tail end of your pregnancy where you're not getting sweeps and vaginal exams and stressed out and all this stuff, um, that's a yeah. very normal time frame, you know, even 42, even beyond 42 in the free birthing world, when nobody's messing with the mama, we see that a lot yeah. more commonly. So I just wanted to yeah. point that out for anybody that t- there's no, yeah. you know, just, I know I'm a broken record here, but there's no such thing as late in 41, 42. These are all normal gestationals, you know, gestational periods. So I just wanted to say yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you Thank go. you. Thank you for saying that. Cause I did, you know, I finally just got myself together and was like, I'm fine. Totally. This baby's fine. She was flipping around and kicking and everything. And I'm just like, as long as this baby's playing, still mm-hmm. playing in there, I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know? So anyhow, so, um, so yeah, so I went into labor, uh, I, so it would be 13, uh, 13 days over what the projected due date is. So anyway, so, um, so she was born on the, four, on, on the, exactly at 42 weeks. Nice. So, so yeah, so, so I went into labor that evening and, um, and by like midnight, the contractions were pretty strong. And my husband, he was around, he was like, um, I didn't really want anything from him. So, you know, he was just kind of like, he came and he was like hanging out with me and like, he was like on his phone and that was like, ah, I was like, that's a little distracting. So yeah. I went and I just kept on staying in the other room from him. So we were, I actually just labored on my own. And I forget, I think I was listening to music. I think I was uh, watching a movie at another, you know, I was just doing whatever I was doing. And so anyways, when the contractions got strong enough, um, I started to push. And I told my husband, I was like, hey, I was like, I'm starting to push. I kind of feel like, you know, like the baby's down there. Well, um, (laughs) I was actually wrong. The baby wasn't. I was, I started pushing too early. So I ended up pushing for like, a couple hours. Mm. And, um, and so then after a couple hours, um, what happened was the water broke, my water had never broke. And so I remember there was this one contraction and it felt really, really strong. And then all of a sudden the, the bag, the water bag, uh, it broke and it exploded and it like shot all the way across the room. It hit the <laughs> the wall across the room like yeah it's like a water balloon yes and so what had what I realized is that that water however it was placed you know there's so much there was it had to put a lot of pressure on it for it actually to break and that had been holding up the the progress you know so anyhow so um, after that broke 
I felt that baby. She came right down mm-hmm. into the canal, you know? And so then I knew it was like, okay, now it's go time, you know? So then it was about another hour that I was, um, I actually, I wasn't pushing. My, my plan was to push until uh, the baby was crowning or close enough to crowning and then not to push. Um, and that was because I didn't want to tear. And that was a, um, a little tip that a doula, who was one of my friends had shared with me. So she was like, um, she was like, yeah, she said, uh, if you don't want to tear, she said, don't push. She says, and then the contractions will naturally just push the baby out and, and your, your, um, your skin will stretch more and more with each contraction. And so, um, so that the skin won't tear when the baby comes out. And I definitely didn't want to tear at home. So, um, so I, so yeah. So anyhow, I waited until the baby was crowning and then I didn't push. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I was biting and screaming into a pillow during each contraction, like not pushing, you know, because the instinct is really to just shoot it out like a rocket, just push it out, you know? And so, um, so anyhow, I was on my hands, I ended up being on my hands and knees and I was in bed, um, you know, with a bunch of chucks pads underneath me and everything. And so, um, so anyhow, so I went through, I would say like four or five contractions from when I was crowning you know, to when the baby came out. And, um, and so, yeah, there was definitely a lot of, like, I think they call it the ring of fire. There was definitely all of that, you know, during that time and I was screaming into the pillow and that was just, that was, that was the worst of it. And, um, and then, so then the, the contract, then the, I had a contraction and so it was there, it was there, the, the pain, the pain, and then her head popped all the way out you know, to her, to her shoulders. And I remember being on hands and knees and I, uh, and so I could see that her head had popped out and then she, um, she turned her little head Mm. and she opened her eyes and it was, it was so scary. Me and my husband were both like, she's alive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To me, honestly, it was like, it was like an alien was totally pretty much is. Uh, and then the next contraction happened and then the whole rest of her came out. My husband caught her and put her on me. And, um, and, and so interestingly enough, you would think that's the end of the story. It wasn't. So I'm looking at my little baby and all of a sudden another contraction hit. And Emily, I swear this contraction was stronger than the last contraction that I had had to to, you know, where I birthed to the baby. Mm. And so this contraction hit me and I like, I almost dropped the baby. I was like, Oh, Oh, oh." I was like, Oh no. And so I had gone through the whole thing with my cool. Like I was just cool. I was just cool. Like, you know, even when it was, you know, the ring of fire, I was screaming into the pillow, you know, making that growling sound and then the baby came right out, but I was all together. But when this contraction hit me and I was holding this baby, I kind of lost it. I was like, what's happening? Why am I in pain? Ah, Like, I just kind of lost my cool, you know? And it was like, uh, it was the only contraction that I want to say I couldn't handle. Mm. Like, I was just like, oh, no, why? Help. (laughs) I was like, help. I told my husband, help. Grab the baby. And I, so he grabs the baby and I was just like, no, no, it's happening. Help. Like, you know, so then I, you know, he grabs the baby. And so I was like, started to try to breathe or something, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I just wasn't prepared for it. And then another one came. So I started having these real strong contractions and um, I guess it was the you know the placenta was ready to come out but I um, I wasn't ready for it I had used all of my stamina 
and I just wasn't ready. And so I actually ended up falling. I, I, I laid down and, and, um, my husband was like, I think you need to deliver the placenta. And I was like, um, I was like, no, I was like, no, I just need to lay down. I'm too tired. Mm. So I laid down and somehow I fell asleep. And so um, I remember like opening my eyes and seeing my husband and the baby, they're laying on the bed and they were just kind of like cooing and like looking at each other. And I fell back asleep again. And I don't know how long I was asleep. It could have been a half an hour. It could have wow. been an hour. But, um, but the, I woke up to contractions again. And so, um, I woke up and I was like, babe, I need to deliver this. Let's go to the bathtub. So I went into the bathtub and, um, I squatted down and the placenta came right out. <laughs> and it was huge. I've <laughs> never seen another placenta this size. It was like this huge octopus alien. Mm -hmm. Out of everything that I had researched about birth and like what you have to do during birth, I I had like a bag to put the placenta in or a bowl or something, but I um I didn't know what it was going to look like. It freaked me out. It was way bigger than I expected. It looked like an octopus alien <laughs> and when it came out it was followed with rushing blood mm. so i was i was bleeding you know like a lot of blood there was like a river of blood it was really scary and so i looked up at my husband and i was like babe i was like go get the pills so i'll tell you about the pills in a second and i was like and just know if i pass out you have to get me to the hospital and so um he went running into the other room and, um, I had, I had, I have, wait, where's the baby? Bed. The baby was on the bed. She okay. was on the bed. He and my husband are in the bathroom. So he goes running into the other room to our birthing supplies. I had included, um, some, these, chi these Chinese herbal pills in my, um, in my supplies in case of hemorrhaging. Mm -hmm. So the name of the pills, I call them the YB pills, but in their, their long name is Yunnan bio. And one of my acupuncturist friends was like, Oh, you know, you should have some Yunnan bio on just in case you like have any heavy bleeding after giving birth just randomly. And so I, I got it. And so that was my plan in case I hemorrhage. So he runs and he gets the Yunnan bio pills and he brings them back and he goes, um, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm definitely like, um, freaking, you know, like I'm in the bathtub and I was calm, but I was looking at all this blood mm -hmm. and I was just like, this is not good. And you how know? are you, how are you physically feeling? So I, uh, I felt weak. Mm -hmm. I felt weak, which is why when I got into the bathtub, I immediately squatted because I actually didn't want to be standing. I was, I was, um, I was lightheaded. Mm -hmm. So, um, and in fact, the reason why I had told my husband to come to the bathroom with me was because I was lightheaded. I was too lightheaded to walk. So I was like, help me support me, you know, help me get to the, to the bathtub. So anyhow, so then I squatted right away, came out and bleeding. So my husband comes back with the Yunnan bio pills and he goes, how many do you want? And I was like, what does it say on the packet? It says take two every four hours. And I was like, give me eight <laughs> I just like, so he gives me, you know, these pills and I take them and Emily, I want to say in less than half a minute, the bleeding had completely stopped. Wow. These pills are magical. And I believe that they helped to save my life or they helped save me from having to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So, um, so anyhow, so I took these pills and then, um, I, I would say like a couple hours later, I did start to bleed again. So then I took them again and again, they stopped, they stopped the bleeding. Uh, right away. So I kept taking them. I think I ended up taking them for about two days. So um, it, before. Was, it was your clear intuition that you were bleeding more than what was appropriate. Emily, it was a river of blood. Yeah. 
It was a river. It was really scary. So we did have a really scary moment. We had a really scary moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But now, you know, one of the reasons when I share this story, people are like, that's why you should have been in the hospital. Of course, the people who think I should have been in a hospital. But women hemorrhage in hospitals as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? I hemorrhaged. I had first aid for hemorrhaging. And we we dealt with it just as quick as it could have been dealt with in any situation. Mm-hmm. With a lot less right? hormonal disruption, honestly, and less trauma. Now, now that said, I I did hemorrhage because of lack of experience. I I should I shouldn't have been asleep, and I needed to have delivered that placenta earlier. The 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 you know when when women retain placenta, that's one of the things that causes hemorrhaging. Well, I had. I, w- I had only retained my placenta. I, I refused to deliver it. Mm. <laughs> so my husband, my passive sweet husband who delivered the baby and who didn't care if I did a home birth, he um, he knew that I needed to deliver the placenta. It was in our birth plan and stuff. But like I was kind of the one, you know, in charge of everything. And when I was like, no, I just need to sleep. Get mm-hmm. away. He did. He let me sleep. Sure. And, and that was the you know, that wasn't quite, I'm not blaming him, but you know, I'm just saying it was kind of our inexperience, you know? So we did it the second time around when I got pregnant, you know, I, I, we put it in the birth plan, even if I turn into an honorary, you know, angry Mm -hmm. woman and won't let you touch me, make sure that I get that placenta out, you know, but we didn't have that issue the second time. The second time, you know, um, this, oh, okay. Yeah. So the second time, um, it was uh, two and a half years later. I went into birth. Um, th- well, the first thing that happened was the, the water broke. And I never had the same pressure as the first birth. That pressure of that water sack being stuck right there, mm-hmm. um, you know, was definitely a very different sensation than the second time. Yeah. The second time I was eating dinner, the same, you know, same kitchen, same place. I was eating dinner. And then I was like, why am I so, so wet? <laughs> so I changed. And then my pants were completely wet again. And I was like, oh, I guess this is like a, my water's broke, mm-hmm. you know? So then, um, so then the second time I had this birth tub, I was like, I'm going to do it in water this time, like a dolphin. Like <laughs> so that, was my, that was like my plan. So I was like, babe, can you, can you um, blow up that thing? And I had been having, you know, contractions for a couple of days, but they were nothing, you know? So once that water broke, I had a contraction and it felt like, it felt like the full deal. Like it felt like the baby was already there. You know, it was a real, that contraction hit me hard. So I was like, babe, can you do that? The birth tub thing. So he, he, he uh, put water in the tub and I got in there and uh, I was only in there once or one or two contractions, but they were so strong. So then I was like, babe, I I feel like I need to go to the bathroom. I just, I was like, I don't know if it's the baby or if I need to go, but I want to go to the bathroom. So he helped me to the bathroom and, uh, and the baby's head was right there. She was crowning already. Wow. So then I went back to the same bed and I delivered in the exact same position on, on all fours. And she, uh, she, and, and I didn't push this time. Oh, also I didn't tear. I didn't tear the first time, even with the 10, 10 pound baby. So then this time I did my little screaming, roaring thing into the thing. And I didn't, I, I didn't push, you know, when she was crowning and she came out, <laughs> she came out and uh, she came out, her eyebrows came out. And then she got stuck right there. The contraction stopped and it hurt so bad. I was like, ah, and then finally the next contraction came. And then so, so then she actually came all the way out during the next contraction. Wow. And, so how um, quick, how, what time frame was that from beginning to end? It took, it took about an hour and 45 wow. minutes from when the water broke. And so I had had Braxton, what do they call them? Braxton Hicks. Mm-hmm. I had had those for a couple of days beforehand, um, but there was no progression or no, 
order to it. But mm-hmm. yeah, from when the water broke, it was only two hours. And she was born exactly on her due date. I did some things differently, Emily. Um, so part of my part of my birth plan and getting ready for um, for labor was to prepare the month ahead of time. So what I did was I wanted to be lubricated. I wanted to make sure I was going to the bathroom every day because that's a sign that that the body is pro- and the organs are properly properly hydrated and lubricated. Um, in the first case, I had been very dehydrated. And um, and my understanding is that dehydration can be one of the things that stalls labor. Um, and this comes from, I was, I talk, I have a lot of acupuncturist friends and I read traditional Chinese medicine books. And so there was one book in particular that I was reading, but it was um, talking about why labor gets stalled. And it said, uh, dehydration, lack of circulation uh, and, and stress. Mm -hmm. So, um, so this time at eight months, I started to make sure that I was lubricated, that I was going to the bathroom daily. And, um, and I started to make sure that I had a lot of circulation. So I was doing like, you know, whatever Qigong exercises for, for circulation and, you know, making sure just to keep, um, you know, do a little bit of cardio or whatever I needed to do to keep my circulation going. And, um, and so my second baby, I actually went into labor, um, the day before her, her, her due date. Um, interestingly enough, I, I, I had all this stuff I wanted to do before the baby came. And then, um, the day before she was going to be born, I was like, all right, time is up. So I just crossed everything. I threw away my to-do list and then I, I wrote a new to-do list and it was just like half baby. Hmm. And my contractions basically started right after that, you know, so it was, it was almost a mental thing. Like, uh, you know, like that, that having that list of stuff that I wanted to do, I think was holding, you know, it, it was definitely holding me back from, from having the baby. And once I got rid of that list, like I actually went into labor, um, and had the baby 24 hours awesome. later. Yeah. So anyhow, so that one was quick and, um, and the baby came right out and there weren't any issues. Then I delivered the placenta. I felt it. I felt the contractions, but they weren't strong. Like they, the other one, I think the, the first time around the placenta, um, contractions were so strong because the placenta was so huge. It was like the same size as the baby. <laughs> now the yeah. second placenta was small. It was tiny. It was cute. It was just this little cute little, you know, thing. But, um, yeah, so I started to have the contractions. And so I immediately knew, and I got up and I, I, um, I delivered the placenta, uh, squatting on the bed. Nice. And so, and so there were no issues with, um, with hemorrhaging the second time around. Wow. Those are wild stories. <laughs> I wouldn't do it any other way. Like I can't imagine. I just can't imagine being in labor, driving to a hospital, talking to doctors and nurses. Like I just can't imagine it. Um, it's just, it's so natural. Like we conceived the baby in the bed mm-hmm. then it's like the baby grows. And then we had the baby in the bed, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's like two people became three. Mm-hmm. It's like this beautiful, beautiful, like, um, process, you know, and it's very natural. And, um, and, and it was just, it was, um, you know, I treasure it. I, I definitely treasure those experiences. Yeah. Now that sure. said, I'm not, I'm not a doula. I'm not a birth. Doula. I'm not any kind of like birth worker. And so, <laughs> so, um, as, as beautiful as the experience was, like, I kind of compare that to, uh, like, I, I think like usually what I say, 
what I say? It's bad, Emily. It's bad. I say birth is the worst. <laughs> birth is the worst. If you get pregnant, you're going to have to go through birth and it's the worst. So you just have to find the best way to go through it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I know it's like do less hate it when I say that, but <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I think a lot so. of people feel that way. So what I did after I had like a really big, I had a really, um, I had a, I had plans, you know, for my fourth trimester, my, my postpartum plan. So, um, I had, a, I, I invited my, my mother-in-law to come and stay who wanted to be there. And she, um, she came and she helped with, um, with the house and with cooking. And, um, I just kicked it with the baby. I tried to do like the, um, the 30 days of resting. I, I did the 30 days of resting with both of the babies. So I had like, I had, um, the second time around I, I hired a postpartum doula and she came and she prepared like tea and soup for me every day. The first time around I had a meal delivery service. I found this Taiwanese meal delivery service and, um, and they brought me meals every day. And so, um, so me and the baby, um, just were able to just relax and kick it in bed for 30 days. And every day I ate soup. I drank teas, um, all warming foods. And most importantly, I did my vaginal steaming. So, um, so vaginal steaming, um, is an ancient practice that women have done over the world, especially for postpartum care. So I met, um, so I had learned about vaginal steaming from Marcia Lopez. And when I was pregnant, I learned that it was done, uh, postpartum. And I had talked to a woman who was Ghanaian. I had, uh, and she said that they do it for for 30 days for every single day after giving birth and that it helps the body to heal up and get back to normal. And then I spoke with a Haitian woman who said that they also do it in Haiti. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I want to do this. You know, I have a vaginal steam sauna. So I said, well, I had a chair, I had this chair little setup thing. So I, um, so I planned to do that. And so I steamed for 30 days straight. And, um, when did you, you start? Know, I, I started the day after giving birth. Okay. Cause I've heard that you were supposed to wait until you were done bleeding. So no, that's not the, so, so there's different, um, that's not always the case. There's okay. different. Okay. So I, different people do it different ways, Sure. but the idea is I want to get the lochia out and steaming helps to get all of the lochia out. Um, as soon as possible. And that getting, so, so anyhow, so what I, what I saw was I started the day after giving birth and I, when I steamed a lot more lochia, like the blood, the after the afterbirth blood came out. And then the next day more came out. And then I think after the third or fourth steam, there was no more lochia ever. When I steamed, it pulled it all out. Mm -hmm. So this idea that women uh, have to bleed for, you know, four to six weeks, um, that's actually, I believe it's a bit of a um, something that happens because women don't use steaming after birth anymore. Steaming actually gets all of the lochia out okay. like pretty, pretty quickly and pretty efficiently. So that was my experience with, with both births was that I steamed um, three or four times. And then uh, after that, all of the lochia had, had cleared out. So, um, so anyhow, so I kept on steaming for 30 days. And um, what happened by the 30-day mark was my vagina, which I never thought would be the same, um, was actually had closed back up to its pre-pregnancy state. Okay. So I also believe another myth, another myth, um, just from my experience, um, is that the body will never be the same after giving birth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Vagina will never be tight, you know, after giving birth. So those were the, those were the 
the, um, that was my story. That was, those were my results. And then what happened, one of my friends, um, she saw my vaginal steam chair and she started. And then, uh, since I I had lost all of the weight, um, within a month of giving birth uh, with both of the babies, I had lost all of my, I I was back to my pre-pregnancy weight because I believe the vaginal steaming also helps to, uh, to help with weight loss. So, um, so one of my friends started to tell all of my pregnant friends, Hey, Kelly's got a witch chair. She's got a witch chair. Ask Kelly about the witch chair, <laughs> you know? And so everybody was like, can this help me lose weight after the pregnancy? And I was like, I don't know, you know, but I, I think it probably, you know, helped. And so, um, and so long story short, uh, I like lit out my vaginal steam chair and then, um, and then, uh, people started to request them from me. And so this one woman was like, can I, can I just pay you and you make one for me? And so I made her a vaginal steam chair. And then, um, and then I started making vaginal steam saunas and, and basically like people started calling me from all over the country asking me if I would make them vaginal steam saunas. Nobody in the whole country makes them. And so, um, and so once I realized that, like, basically I was, I, you know, I went from selling, you know, one every once in a while to 10 per month. Um, and finally I, I founded a company called steamy chick and, um, steamy chick this last year, we were selling between 50 to 80, uh, steam saunas every mm-hmm. single, because we are the first and only manufacturer of vaginal steam saunas in the United States. Now that said, women are using them because they have cramps or menstrual issues. Um, the majority of the customers that I get, but I always want to see more people use it postpartum because to me, there was no steam like that steam postpartum. Like, I mean, I've used it for, I used it for years before, you know, giving birth and I use it after, but when I gave birth and then I did that steam session, it relieved so much of the achy. I I had real, my bones were aching after I gave birth. It relieved that, you know, and, um, and it relieved like, you know, all of the pain in my, you know, in my you know, vaginal region. And specifically with the first baby, I was really swollen. All of my skin was swollen. And after I steamed, the swelling went down. Mm-hmm. That and makes that sense. Like that I felt comfortable with my, you know, just even going to the bathroom was that I had done that steam. I do feel so, I, the only thing that's coming up that feels a little, um, that's not resonating with me is the rushing the bleeding release, you know, at at postpartum, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that. That should be rushed. You know, I think there's a reason for there being a couple week period and it's not always four to six weeks, you know, for everybody. Sometimes it's only two. And I think Mm -hmm. of course it's sometimes it's more when women are really pushing themselves, but I think there's a, a real reason for that shedding um, and, and the time that it takes, because obviously we have to look to nature and we have to look at what happens in undisturbed postpartums and in undisturbed postpartums without steaming or anything, just with it, what it is, there's a, a multi-week process of shedding, you know, the, the 10 months of uterine lining that is still hanging on in there that didn't come out in the birth. So I don't know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just kind of trying to sit with how I, I love that it worked for you and I'm, I'm totally hearing this other side of it, but that's, that's the only thing that I'm kind of like, huh, I don't know that, that, <laughs> that, that I, I'm not saying for anyone else, just like, I don't know that I would want to rush that, um, mm. right after. Well, there's no, there's no, there's no harm to it is the important thing to know. And there's also no harm in not doing it. Right. Of course, yeah. 
<laughs> so I was able to, so the, for me, the benefit of steaming after, um, after I gave birth to my first baby was that it was able to help me. It was able to help to, um, so I was actually I, both, both of the births I prolapsed. So the steaming was able to help to push the organs back up into place and to tighten the skin to help to get the organs back into place. So this is one of the benefits. And with my second baby, um, I didn't steam, I steamed like on probably like day two or three. And then I didn't steam again for another week, mainly because it was a hundred degrees. It was really hot mm -hmm. and I was just too hot to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I had that prolapse was sitting there and it was uncomfortable. Whereas with the first baby, it was sitting there and it was uncomfortable. And when I steamed every day, it relieved it. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, so that's one of the, that was, that's like one of the reasons why you would do it earlier. Um, even if you're not concerned about bringing out your lochia right away. Um, but one of the benefits of getting the lochia out is that, um, the lochia can congeal after time and it turn it can turn brown and it can get clotted. Mm -hmm. And once it does that, it can be harder to clear it, you know, in the end. And so what, when, you know, so this, the, the, the first period that a woman has after she gives birth, that period lets you know whether or not the woman had a clear, mm -hmm. uh, uh, got all of the lochia out postpartum or not. So if that period is heavy and clotted, and has cramps in it, mm -hmm. round blood, that's a sign that she didn't get a full uterine cleanse. So now clearing the lochia is a, a uterine cleanse. It's clearing out all the rest of the stuff. So if a woman has a period like that after giving birth, that's a sign that she didn't get all of the mm -hmm. uh, lochia out. She didn't get a full uterine cleanse after giving birth. And so birth. what do you think about the other option of waiting until you're at the tail end of, of bleeding a couple that's weeks fine too. That's fine too. So I've studied it and I found that women all over the whole entire world, every single continent have done postpartum steaming. It actually, it appears that it was a universal practice, um, before, um, before modern medicine, the, the rise of modern medicine, um, kind of took, uh, took birthing out of women's hands. So it used to be completely, uh, uh, um, a normal practice. Women everywhere have done it, and everywhere there are different herbs, and there are different um, there are different protocols for postpartum. Sure. Um, so sometimes, so like for example, uh, I met this woman from Palau, and she said that they do steaming for four days, and they do it um, at the very end of the postpartum month. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was um, that one is actually a bit unique because the, the majority, so I just research, you know, I'm just like, okay, Oh, I found another place where they do it postpartum. How do you do it? You know? And what I found is that the majority of places, they actually start immediately and do it uh, repeatedly. And that that is um, what is believed to help the woman's body heal up back to its pre-pregnancy state. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, you know, like, I'm not gonna, I, I mean, I, I think Emily, I think there's room for it to be like, interpreted it, well no i think there's room for it to be researched yeah well for sure <laughs> right so you've only just kind of like i mean i i'm the only so just kind of like you're like how i said you're one of the few people who's like paying attention to free birth mm -hmm. you know and like bringing together a lot of information in one place about it i'm that person for vaginal steaming mm -hmm. so i'm the first researcher who's ever found out that it's universal yeah nobody knew that vaginal steaming was universal People were like, oh, vaginal steaming, it comes from Korea. Yeah, it Koreans do it. 
<laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that other people are like, vaginal steaming, it comes from Guatemala. Guatemalans do it, but they also did it all over Native America. They also did it in Hawaii. They also did it in Europe. You know what I mean? Like it's actually universal, right? So then, um, so, so now in the information age, now that we know that vaginal steaming is universal, we need to learn more about it. We need to share stories. We need to learn like, you know, how it can be best be used to address prolapse, to help women's reproductive, um, their, their elimination, you know, functions return sure. after giving birth. Maybe waiting the 30 days isn't good because maybe the woman's constipated that whole time and mm-hmm. the steaming can alleviate that. Maybe the prolapse isn't treated as it, maybe it doesn't, it doesn't, um, maybe you shouldn't wait 30, 30 days to treat treat the prolapse mm-hmm. but maybe if there's no prolapse maybe you should wait you know you see what I mean like you know I don't know yeah and, and I've only I've only heard to learn more about it totally know? and I know it's like a very small little subculture but from what I since I'm in the birth world obviously I have been hearing about it and I do know other women that do it and I've only heard positive things about it you know I've I've yet to hear a negative story so that was why I wanted to have you on and learn more about it because I've never done it and um it's, it's, it's interesting. And a lot of it sounds really intuitive, you know, to have the warmth and even like the ritual of it. Um, it sounds really peaceful and intuitive and a a beautiful time to give your body, you know, that, that steam. I I wanted to ask also with the steam, what, what are the herbs? I'm sorry. It feels so good. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And it feels good. I imagine it does. And you're, so you're, you're not supposed to do it in pregnancy, right? Okay. No. Um, but it, it, no, um, I did, I did it. Okay. So basically what happens is steaming opens up the cervix. It relaxes the cervix and it opens up the cervix. So you don't want to do that during pregnancy, but you can do it when you're ready, when you're preparing for labor. And what what are the herbs that you're mixing? So the herbs um, are different everywhere in the world. Everywhere in the world, you'll find local herbs that are used in that area. Um, So some of the ones that I use, I use rose petals, I use chamomile, I use peppermint. Cool. Well, do you have anything else you want to add to that? Or definitely please let us know where we can find you and your website and Instagram and all that. Sure. Um, I am at steamychick.com. And, um, on there, I also have a course for anybody who is interested in learning more about postpartum steaming. I have a whole course dedicated to postpartum parasteam care and how to do it. Nice. And how does it feel to have come out of the closet with your free birth stories? Yeah, um, it feels good. It feels good. I like telling (laughs) my stories, you know, they're really special to me. Mm -hmm. It's really, um, you know, it's really a special, like, like, I, I feel like I carry it with me, you know, like it's like a, it's like a, a strength that I carry with me as I think all women carry that strength with them after they've given birth, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I, you know, it's like, I, I feel like no one can ever take that away from me. It's like, I know how strong I am and what I can do, you yeah. know, and, and that I can always, that I can, that I can do it myself if I have to, that a woman can turn into, you know, um, you know, just the toughest, the toughest animal there is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and birth on her own, you know, like that's just something that, um, you know, like, you know, it just makes me smile. I'm smiling, you know, it just makes me smile, you know, just to think about it. And like, I'm, I'm so happy that you are, I mean, thank you for inviting me to share my stories and, um, 
and that you're having other women share their stories and that you've created a place where we can talk about this because, mm-hmm. um, I, and I was telling you this before, I feel completely alienated um, about it, which is one of the reasons why I don't even normally talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And it, there's actually like a lot of women that do it, but no, but not enough of us talk about it because we're all in our own little, yeah. you know, section yeah. of the world where the rest of the community obviously is not of the same thinking. So exactly, exactly. Totally. Yes. I'm so excited that there's a forum where Mm -hmm. we can talk about this now. Well, thank you for sharing. And I'm excited to check out your website a little deeper and one day get my vaginal steam on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.